0: Rekona e purangi tēnei nā te nei irirangi o nā mihi nui and welcome to this Hour Changing World podcast from RNZ with me Alison Balance. In this episode we are going underground. Actually, we're not really going underground. We're just going to visit some labs at the University of Waikato, but the scientists we're going to meet regularly go into caves for their research. Adam Hartland is a Rutherford Discovery Fellow and he and PhD student Andrew Pearson are working on a Marsden-funded project involving caves and climate change. Here's Adam.
1: I'm a geochemist, which means that I make chemical measurements in natural materials, so rocks, soil, water. My path's taken me from uh, the Canterbury Plains and looking at little tiny critters in the groundwater there to studying caves. And I think that there's just something really interesting about these hidden realms or environments which, you know, you don't really think about. They're sort of, they're below your feet and so they're kind of cryptic, but they're fascinating because of that. They sort of hold these secrets that we can go and explore and uncover.
0: So do you spend much time underground?
1: We go about once a month generally to the Waitomo trying to develop this long, long time series of measurements and observations in the caves as they are today. It turns out that there's, there's limestone, almost everywhere you can, you can look, can pretty much find a cave in an area which is of climatic interest.
0: So they're obviously holding some kind of climate record.
1: Absolutely, yeah. yeah. The whole thing is a climate record, right, from the actual cave itself, its formation, its development over time, and then as it gets infilled... By either sediments or um, what we call speleothem, um, that builds up a continuous record of, of climate.
0: So that's what a speleothem is—just the yeah, sediments it's in a cave. It's
1: speleothem.
0: Speleothem. There's ah. no
1: there's no R in it. It basically refers to a d- deposit in a cave. So we refer to them as secondary deposits because the the primary bedrock is dissolved by water passing through. So rainwater passes through, trickles through the soil, picks up CO2 in the soil, and make, that makes the water acidic. That water dissolves some of the bedrock, and then that water eventually gets down into the cave and deposits the carbonates in the cave, which are the speleothems. It's 99% calcium carbonate and 1% other stuff, and it's the 1% that we really care about and interested
0: in. So you're doing your PhD in this area, so when you, you go into a cave to collect things, do you want to explain to me how that works?
2: Yeah, so we usually drive over to Waitomo and climb down into the cave, which at first felt a little bit hairy, <laughs> but actually you, you see and get used to it. You get used to the darkness. And then essentially what we do is we measure the drip waters that come through the cave ceiling. In the past we collected the speleothems, of course,
0: Do stalactites and stalagmites come into this?
2: Yeah, they do, yeah. Historically or traditionally,
1: people have tended to study stalagmites, which are the ones that grow up from the floor.
0: The ones that might reach the ceiling. They might reach (laughs) the ceiling. That's a good one, yeah.
1: The project which Andy's working on, they're working on flowstones. And a flowstone is chemically the same thing, uh, it grows from a flowing film of water that flows along a surface or along a bank. So you can imagine like a sediment bank in a cave and the water flowing across that and slowly depositing and building up that calcium carbonate. Essentially what we're trying to do is understand what's happening in the soil zone above the cave, the, the ecosystem, and how that responds to climate. A lot of people care about and work on you know, how will soils respond to climate change you know, in terms of the potential to release CO2 to the atmosphere. But also there's um, material lost from soil by leaching organic material out of the soil in water. And so this is where the caves sort of come into their own because they're really the only sort of archive which captures that process. As that water passes through the soil, carries the organic material with it, and then it's eventually sort of locked into the rock and preserved in time. So they're like molecular fossils of what's been happening in the soil.
0: So what sort of time frame is recorded in these flows?
2: Well, we're focusing on the past 14,000 years, probably around about 50 years' resolution in some of the samples. And this will give us a really good idea of how the climate is driving the loss of organic carbon from the soil, pre-human, of course, by a long way in New Zealand, which is really unique, especially where I'm from in the Northern Hemisphere. There's quite a big ongoing debate between scientists scientists as to why organic carbon is being increasingly lost from soil, or whether that's a human impact or whether that's an impact of climate change. And New Zealand, in its sort of pristine environments in which we have some of our caves, allows a unique opportunity to see how this is happening in relation to climate or in relation to vegetation, for example.
0: You've got 800 years of potential impact, and before that it's just nature being nature.
2: That's right, it's absolutely... Um, clean before that from humans so that's really important for our project because in the northern hemisphere there's a lot of impact from land use change or pollution or even more recently in terms of acid rain in the northern hemisphere which you just don't get here from industrialisation and that also has an impact on the soil
0: What are you trying to get out of this research? What are you hoping for?
1: We aim to develop information um, which is allows us to understand what the climate of our region will do in the short to medium term. So by looking into the past, we'll be able to understand the, the way that the climate is all linked up and coupled.
0: So it might be going, it's going to be warmer, it's going to be wetter, or it's going to be drier. But mm. putting some specific numbers on that, or is it just going to be relative? Exactly,
1: putting specific numbers on that. So actually quantifying the amount of rainfall, has changed in the past, for for example, as we moved from the last glacial period into our present interglacial, and how changes in in Antarctica have have affected that, because the, the moisture delivery to New Zealand is dominated by this westerly flow of air masses. And that westerly flow, that band of circling wind, is directly influenced by Antarctica. So, as the climate of Antarctica has changed and the, and the surrounding ocean, that will have affected New Zealand. And so, on a sort of regional basis, we can start, start to actually get a, a very specific picture of what's happened to the climate in the past from measurements which are actually done on the land. So, that's the kind of one of the things that makes what we do unique as well, is that we're not making measurements from offshore in you know in the oceans or. Um, in the deep south, it's in in New Zealand where people live. In terms of the climate history, we're filling in a part of the map which is kind of blank at the moment.
0: I'm curious to see one of the flowstones from Waitomo, so we head to the lab. These are examples of flowstones. So you've got a block of epoxy resin with this. Yeah. It's quite beautiful. It looks like marbling on the front cover of a book or yeah. a
2: layer cake of some kind. Yeah, exactly. It's, I suppose it's similar to ice cores. It has these sort of layers that get deposited over time.
0: So these samples here, they're from a whole lot of different caves, are they?
2: Yes, we have some from uh, Waitomo and we also have some from um, on top of Mount Arthur, in Kahurangi National Park and also a few from around Mount Luxmore in Fjordland as well, to really, really capture that latitudinal gradient of New Zealand, which has different temperatures.
1: Yeah, this one's from Nettlebed, which is famous um, among cavers in New Zealand. It's at various times, I believe, held the record for the longest cave in the Southern Hemisphere. We got permission from the Department of Conservation to take these samples. Um, so this particular sample spans the last interglacial period, so it's um, what's called the Eemian, which covers the period of roughly 130,000 years ago to 120,000 years ago. So that was when, in the past, the, the conditions are like today, the most like today. So we live in this period which geologists call an interglacial. Paleoclimate scientists are particularly interested in these interglacial periods because they give us a window into times which are like our present climate state, where speleothems come into their own is the ability to date them very precisely, which is not something that we are able to do with ice cores as well. So you have to employ different strategies to understand where you are in time. With spiliothems we can use something which is often referred to as absolute dating, which is using uh, ra- the radioactive decay of natural um, isotopes of uranium inside the sample.
0: It looks a bit like a cross-section of a tree trunk to me as well. There's quite finely defined lines on it. Some of them are really dark, some of them are quite white. Can you just talk me through some of the big features before we get down into the detail of the fine stuff you guys look for?
1: This sort of honey or custardy colour. It's kind of like
0: caramel. We could spend some time debating the best analogy.
1: That's right. It it varies between honey, custard and caramel. But that's pretty much um, organic matter. So that's sort of the natural hue of the crystal as it contains the organic material. And I think probably as we get to these slightly darker bands in this particular sample we're looking at, um, it could well be that these are silts and clays as well. So the thing about flowstones is that they capture more hydrological pathways. The flow of the water can, can take different routes. And so sometimes you're looking at through a flowstone core and you go through a section which is nice, clean calcite, which is your speleothem, and then you've got gravels or sands. So, you know, things have changed. Something's happening, and, and, and that's kind of cool to see as well because it's just this, this, you know, all that history which you don't see until you take the
2: core.
0: So how do you go about interrogating these cores more finely once you're back here in the lab?
2: So what I've spent a lot of time doing was drilling into the speleothem samples. So because they grow upwards, if you just drill down at sort of one millimetre resolutions, you can take samples through time and essentially what I would then do is dissolve the powders that I've extracted at those one millimetre intervals and I would use a fluorescence instrument which can tell me about the properties of the organic matter.
0: Nick stop the fluorescence spectrometer room to find out what exactly the fluorescence technique is.
1: Fluorescence happens when a molecule absorbs a photon of light and inside the molecule electrons become excited so they get to a higher energy state and because the molecule has a hard time releasing that energy in other ways it releases it in the form of a photon. So um, effectively it lets light back out again and that process of fluorescence, so of the molecules becoming excited and then releasing that light as a photon, allows us to understand kind of what they're made of. So it gives us a picture into the characteristics of the organic matter. So what's in here is as the light source, there's some mirrors. The sample goes in here, and then what happens is we can measure absorbance of light. So that's literally how much light is being lost along the beam. Absorbance is like a direct measure of concentration. This is what we call a cuvette. So that just goes into the- Put your sample in. Into the cell in
0: here. Pop it in the machine. Yeah,
1: close the lid so no light can come in from the outside world. And then we hit play and run a program now which steps through a series of what we call excitation steps.
0: You can hear it ticking away.
1: You can see that it's sort of building up a picture on the screen. So that's how the organic molecules appear inside the spectrum. Um, and where they appear in, in that optical space tells us what, we've, what we're looking at.
0: OK, so it's a great way of actually visualising what's in that
1: exactly. flow state. Yeah, Exactly. It's a very visual uh, method, but also lets us measure how much there is as well.
2: So the red areas are telling us that there's more intense excitation or emission at those particular wavelengths. So you can see this sort of red circle, and that's indicative of humic-like organic matter. So that's the organic matter that you would find in soils predominantly. And also, if you've ever seen a river uh, or a lake, for example, it looks kind of brown, almost like tea. That's the fluorescence wavelength where you would see that.
1: As the spiliothene grows, it captures the organic matter as it grows. And, And so we can go back in time, go back, you know, thousands of years and get a picture, a window into what was happening in the soil.
0: As well as working with flowstones laid down over many thousands of years in natural caves, Adam is about to begin some experiments creating his own flowstones in a specially built artificial cave.
1: The artificial cave. This is essentially a, a controlled atmosphere enclosure and it operates using um, a software programme which has been developed which allows us to control the concentration of CO2, water vapour and the temperature of the air inside the chamber.
0: So at the moment it's open, so it's clearly not yes, running. that's right. But you can seal it up and create whatever atmosphere you like in there.
1: Exactly right, yeah.
0: So what volumes of water are you going to be doing in there and exactly what will you be doing?
1: So to begin with, we're going to be growing calcite, so growing speleothem in a way which mimics flowstones, So the water will be flowing along an inclined glass plate and the actual volume of water flowing at any one time is quite small, so a few millilitres, but that will be coming from a reservoir of of a few litres worth which will allow us to run an experiment for a couple of weeks. Um, Could you
0: build stalactites in there?
1: Yep, could grow pretty much anything that evolves from a water that contains calcium and CO2. And we can drive it in the other direction, right? So we can look at... What happens when you have a high CO2 in the atmosphere and you, and you start to dissolve the, the rocks as well? We can obviously control the valves. You can okay. hear that clip there. And that's the, the chiller unit starts starts up and we can set the temperature there.
0: So is this <laughs> aimed for long-term experiments?
1: The first set of experiments we're going to run will be around two weeks.
0: And what question are you looking at?
1: Growing speleothems in our artificial cave And we're looking at a specific set of chemistry to do with uh, the metal copper, actually, and how the copper moves from the water into the speleotham.
0: So this sounds like a pretty unique tool to have.
1: It is. It's it's really unique. We're copying, uh, to some extent, a similar system that was built in Germany, However, the student who was running that system had to get up at 3 o'clock in the morning and go and switch the valves on to get the CO2 back down to the, you know, right level and that sort of thing. So this one takes care of itself. It's a real big step forward.
0: Thanks, Adam. That was Adam Hartland, and he's a geochemist at the University of Waikato. He's also a Rutherford Discovery Fellow. PhD student Andrew Pearson is working with Adam on a Marsden Fast Start project. I'm Alison Balance, and this Our Changing World podcast from RNZ, first aired on the 28th of March 2019. You can find this story again at our webpage, rnz.co.nz slash Our Changing World. You can subscribe to us as a podcast for free at Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Radio Public, Podbean, most places really. The Kākāpō Files podcast continues to shine a spotlight on the best kākāpō breeding season in recorded history. That's available at rnz.co.nz slash and all the usual podcast places. RNZ's chemistry podcast, Elemental, celebrating 150 years of the periodic table of elements, is up to the bees, including bukelium and the synthetic heavyweights. You can subscribe to Elemental Asser Podcast and find it at rnz.co.nz slash chemistry. I'm posting all of those on the Our Changing World webpage as well. By the way, check out the podcast page at rnz.co.nz for more RNZ podcasts. The Sex and Sexuality podcast, Bang! And the worst sitcom ever made, which is A Look at Failure. Stay in touch with us, we're on Facebook and Twitter as Science. Many thanks for your company. Bye for now. Māori ora.